You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Who finds decision-making difficult? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. You can raise them high. This is church. You can be honest here. All right. Making decisions isn't always the easiest thing um, that we do in life. And, and an analogy that we often use uh, kind of in our culture would be open doors and closed doors when it comes to making decisions and opportunities. And, and the decisions that we made at, in our youth, um, do you remember back when you were in middle school, high school, even college, a lot of those decisions seemed huge. And they are. In those moments, they are these huge, big decisions. But then as you get older, those decisions don't necessarily seem to hold as much weight, per se, as some of the things that you're experiencing now. I think that in every season of life, we think we're in the most difficult season of life. I mean, you're, you're, you get married, and it's your, your, you know, your honeymoon, and then, then your first year of marriage, and then it's hard, and you think, wow, could it, could it be any more difficult than this? And then you have a kid, and then you're like, oh, could it be any more difficult than this? And then you have four kids, and you're like, can it be any more difficult than this? And then your kids go off to college, and then, and then you're like, okay, now what do I do with my life? Right? We're empty nesters, and, and can it be any more difficult than this? And, and decision-making is hard. And, and so we spend our lives looking for these new, fresh, open doors. Opportunities. That's, that's what we see open doors as. Open doors, closed doors. These are opportunities that, that we find ourselves navigating through. And uh, America, I mean, we are known to be what? The land of opportunity. If you type in the land of opportunity into Google, I mean, this is what comes up. It says, America is known as the land of opportunity where one could achieve anything they put their mind to, no matter who they are. That's the, the, the mantra that Americans want to hold on to, that we can do whatever we want to do. So then the question is, is what is the purpose of each and every opportunity that you and I experience? What is the purpose, the main idea, the purpose of every opportunity that we face? Because with, with every open door, every decision, every opportunity, we have the ability to do one of two things. The first thing is that we have the ability to build our own kingdom. That's the opportunity, to build our own kingdom. Or the second one is to build God's kingdom. But every opportunity in our lives, we have the ability to do one or the other. And oftentimes we try to just mash those two together. And that's what we're going to see here in Revelation 3, 7 through 13. And so here's the context. We have this, this man, John. John is one of the disciples, and, and he's known as the beloved disciple. He would have been the one that was leaning up against Jesus at the Last Supper. And, and John was exiled to an island called Patmos. Why? Because he was going around spreading the gospel, the good news that Jesus came as he, he is God, came down to earth as the Messiah, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and then rose again from the dead. He was going around and sharing the good news that the kingdom has come and Jesus is the Savior of the world. And so they were trying to silence him. They were trying to stop him from saying that, especially the Jews who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. 
And so they tried to do all sorts of things, imprisonment and beatings. Um, at one point, even in history, we see that they tried to boil John alive, and it didn't work. And so they just tried to get rid of him, and they exile him to this island. And it was here in this solitude that, that God gives him a vision of Jesus. Jesus appears to John, and he says, I have a message, I have a letter, I have something I want to share with my church. So would you write these things down? Because I want to tell my church something. And so John writes seven letters to seven churches. And one of the things that we want to know in all of these letters that we've been walking through is that, that the, the, the number seven also can mean in the Bible completeness. And so this is not just specific letters to specific people, but this is actually a whole letter, one letter to the church. And guess who is a part of that church? We are. We are a part of it. So God is writing us a letter. And he's going through. And, and here's the progression that we see. First off, we have uh, the church in Ephesus. They have lost their love. They're doing all these good works, but the works has become this religion. They're, they're re living their lives in religiosity. It's just all the do's and don'ts, uh, all of the laws, all of the practices, all of the festivals, but they lost their love for God, this personal, interactive, intimate relationship with God. And then Smyrna, the church in Smyrna, they are persecuted. And so the, the community around the church in Smyrna is, is really coming down hard on them. And, and they're keeping the faith throughout that persecution. But, but God is, is encouraging them, hey, keep the faith because this persecution is actually going to get worse. And then the church in Pergamum, they started to compromise through that persecution. And so persecution started coming, and then they started to make compromises in their faith. Little things here and there, little veers in what they knew what was right and what was glorifying to God, they started compromising. And then Thyatira, they started participating in sinful acts that the culture was telling them was good and right. And so not only were they compromising, but then they started participating in these things. And then Trent last week did a phenomenal job talking about the church in Sardis, that they had this appearance of life within their church, but they were spiritually dead. And now we get to the church in Philadelphia, the, the city that we know as brotherly love. They were an imperial postal road. So it was really this important trade route that would come through them and then kind of go out into what would be seen as the rest of the world. And... They were known in history as a door to the east for the Greek language and culture to spread. And so that's what Philadelphia was known for. Everything was kind of coming through and filtering through them so to go to the east and then go on from there. And so they played an important role. And the church here in Philadelphia was actually small. But they were positioned to have a huge impact because of what God was going to do through them. And so the church in Philadelphia was given this open door to fulfill God's mission to spread the gospel, to build his kingdom. Remember how we started off. We have two opportunities before us, one to build our own kingdom or the other to build God's kingdom. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Would you pray with me as we dive in? Jesus, this is your word. God, and you have an encouragement for our hearts and our minds I think often we 
come to church because we need to be encouraged. Life can be difficult and hard. Our circumstances can become overwhelming. And church can be a place where we belong and are known and are loved. And God, I pray that you would ignite in our heart an understanding of the mission that you have called us to, to build your kingdom for your name and your glory. We lift this all up in your name. Amen. So here's where we, where we start. We see this in verses 7 and 8, that God gives his church a mission. Verse 7, it says, he is holy and true. It's talking about Jesus. He is holy and true, who has the key of David. What is that? The key of David. Well, it also looks back to Revelation 1.18, where it says that, that Jesus holds the key to death and Hades. This is salvation. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. He holds the key. And so we're seeing here that um, it's also pointing back to Isaiah 22, verse 22. It's talking about Elohim, the king who is in the line of David. And what he had, and it references to, is the fact that this king held the key to the treasury of the kingdom. And so when the king opened up the treasury, the door remained open. But when the, do- when the king shut the door and locked it, it remained closed. And so there's a reference all the way back. John would have known the verse in Isaiah 22. He would have known what he was talking about, this king, and he was, knew about this king, this king that would have had a, a key to the treasury. And he's saying this is the power and the authority over the treasures of the kingdom. And so this is the analogy that we're seeing here where it's referring to he, Jesus, who is holy and true, who has the key of David. He holds the key to the treasures of the kingdom. This is a foreshadowing of the Messiah. Jesus is the key to the kingdom of God and an entrance into eternal life. And so right off the bat to the church in Philadelphia, he is reminding them Jesus is the key. Now, what do we do with that? He said, so I have set an open door before you. Jesus has opened the door with the keys of the kingdom to the kingdom for them to have an opportunity to do what? To build the kingdom of God, to make his name great, to share all of his riches and all of his treasures and all of his everything with the world. I've set before you an open door. I love what Dr. David Jeremiah writes. He's an author and pastor, and he said, this notion of an open door appears several times in the New Testament. In each case, the open door represents an opportunity for ministry. Everywhere in Scripture, when we talk about open doors, it's talking about an opportunity for ministry, that God has opened the door with the keys of the kingdom so that we can go forth, we as his church can go forth and spread his good news that the kingdom is near, that the kingdom has come, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is not an opportunity for worldly success as we often see in Open Door, but it's actually 
an opportunity to build the kingdom of God. I mean, this is Paul's life. We have this Apostle Paul that we see all all throughout the New Testament. And if you don't know much about the Bible, there was a man here in Scripture that's talked about that, that continually over and over and again took every opportunity that came up in his life after he came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior to build the kingdom of God. I mean, literally, he is the devil's nightmare. I mean, first off, you, you have um, Paul going around and sharing good news, and then people are threat, threatening Paul. And as they're threatening Paul, he's like, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on a second. Okay, 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 okay I'll stop. Um, I just want to tell you that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. He is the Lord and Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. And then they threaten him. If you say that again... We're going to throw you in prison. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. I won't say again that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And they're like, that's it. We're going to throw you in, you know, we're going to beat you first. And so they start beating him. And he's like, wait, 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 okay, 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 okay. Hey, there was a guy that you did this to a few years ago um, that you beat him and you hung him on a cross. Uh, His name was Jesus. And then he rose again from the grave. And then they're still beating him as he's saying this. And then they're like, fine, we're going to silence you. We're going to throw you in prison. And then he like gets up to the jail cell and the guard's there and he's like, psst, psst. Hey, do you know why I'm in here? There's a guy. His name is Jesus. He's the king of all. He came to give you life. He came to save you from your sins. And then the guard silences him and he like looks at the guy that's like locked up next to him. He's like, hey, let me tell you about this, this Jesus. Then they put him on a ship and they try to ship him off to Rome to get rid of him. And they have this shipwreck. And he gets up and he goes, everybody, we're going to be safe if you just listen to me. we got to go and swim over to this island. And so they all listen to him. And he gets up on the island and a poisonous snake bites him. Now, if it were me and I had just been threatened and beaten and imprisoned and then ship, shipwrecked, like, I'd probably be like, come on, God. Seriously? Like, now you're going to bite me? With-? No, he, like, picks up the snake and he's like, hey, everybody, look, I just got bit by the snake. Let me tell you about Jesus. every opportunity. Like if you just read the story of these disciples, I don't think we can fathom sometimes how like these guys were not just sitting in a room one day coming up with an idea to talk about a false savior. Like they weren't like, hey, I got a good idea. Let's fabricate the resurrection of this guy and then go and give our lives for him. That sounds fun. Every opportunity that arose, whether it was persecution or heartache or pain or suffering, they took as an opportunity to build the kingdom of God. Are you experiencing hardship in your life right now? Pain? Are you overwhelmed? Are things not going the way that you anticipated them? Are you struggling to do something? Are you struggling to understand something? Do you feel like everybody's out to get you? Every opportunity that we experience in life, whether we believe it's positive or negative, is an opportunity for us to build the kingdom of God. We are a world of complainers, but God did not call us to be a people that complain, but a people who point others to Jesus. And so, God gives us and his church a mission. 
Do you see everything in your life as an opportunity to build God's kingdom? And I think we, we truly do misunderstand the purpose of open doors. And we just see them as this opportunity for success. An open door to move, a new job, to date someone, to marry them, uh, what sports we're going to play, what college we're going to go to. And honestly, we look for the end result as our happiness, uh, maybe it's our success. We spend our lives building our own kingdom. And I think the reason is, is because we misunderstand the purpose of, I think the reason why we misunderstand the purpose of open doors is because we misunderstand the purpose on why we exist. You have breath in your lungs. It's your breath in our lungs that we pour out your praise, that we just sang. Like, the purpose you have breath in your lungs is to tell people about Jesus. That's why we exist. We exist to glorify God by sharing his good news to every man, every woman, every child, no matter what the circumstance, whether it is uncomfortable or not. We are called on a mission to make his name great because life is short. And if we live for any other purpose, we're not living for what God has created us for. God didn't give you a brilliant business mind so that you can build an awesome, mega, huge business to gain lots of money, to have all the toys, to retire early and golf all day and then die. That's not the purpose that God has set out for his children. You have a purpose. If you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're sitting here today and say, yes, I am a Christian, I believe that Jesus is my Lord, King of all, he's the ruler and the authority of my life, he's my Savior, he saved me from my sins, I did nothing for that, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, if that's you today, you have a purpose. And that purpose is to build his kingdom no matter what you're doing. I love, uh, I'm a huge Tim Tebow fan. And because for Tim Tebow, it, football wasn't the end goal. Yeah, in seasons of his life, he really pursued being the best football player, but, but he only saw football as a means to an end. He saw football as a way to make God's name great. And so it was like, if my purpose is to make God's name great, I might as well have fun doing it, so I'm gonna go play football. God has gifted me in these things, and so I'm gonna do it, but that's not my purpose. My purpose is to make the name of Jesus great. That's why in the Great Commission that we know and that we've memorized since we were kids, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and that go therefore is in your going. This is everywhere you go, no matter where you go, whether you, are, whether you shop at Publix or Walmart, whether you go to Starbucks or other coffee shops, or make coffee at home. Um, in your going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I know it's at this point of, uh, even if you've been at church at any amount of time where you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, pastor, I know, I know. I get it, but what difference can I make? I mean, really, honestly, like, what, what can I do 
I mean, I, I don't know, I'm not, fill in the blank. You do it, so you could just fill in your own blank. We make these excuses every day. I'm not eloquent with my words. I don't, I'm not educated enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not outgoing enough, right? I'm not popular enough. Um, people at my work don't like me. Like, we could just throw anything in that blank. I'm not this, I'm not that. Saying those things means you think that God's mission is dependent on how awesome you are. But guess what? God's mission is not dependent by how awesome you think you are. Because here's the second thing we see. God equips his church to fulfill his mission. That's what we're seeing here for the church of Philadelphia. He's saying, hey, you are small. You think that you are insignificant. You think that you don't have a huge impact. But guess what? I am going to equip you to fulfill the mission that I have for you. It doesn't matter what you're filling in that blank with. God, I'm not whatever. I'm too, maybe for some of you, I'm too young. Or I don't do this well enough. Or God equips his church. He equips his children, his people, to fulfill his mission. There's four ways we see that just in this passage. So let me show it to you real quick. In verses 8 and 9, God gives his church his power. God always does his greatest works through people who seem humanly weak and small. That's this whole, whole book right here. It's about people who are actually incapable of doing anything. And then God does some mighty works through them. I mean, verse 8, he says, I know that you have little power. Comparative in size to what? To God. God is the thing that we have our eyes fixed and focused on. God is the one who is doing the work in and through us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, my strength is made perfect in how strong I am. My strength is made perfect because I've worked really hard. My strength is made perfect in weakness because of what God has done. Matthew 28, 18, that great commission that we know we're supposed to be on in our going, make disciples. You know what the bookends are? The bookends are um, Jesus has the authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So therefore, go and make disciples. Oh, yeah, and by the way, what is, how does it end up? I am with you always. The strength and the power that God calls you to fulfill his mission comes from God. So you don't have to muster up all of this, like, self-help power. God promises that he will do the work in and through you. It doesn't matter how small you are, how young you are, how old you think you are. You believe in a big God. I love Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is this uh, amazing passage of Scripture that talks about all these people of faith. Uh, it's, it's all of the people throughout Scripture that we've seen that have done really big things. Let me read the list of some of these people to you. Gideon. If there was like a high school superlative for Gideon, it would be uh, least likely to succeed. Barak, the army that he commanded was incredibly tiny compared to Sisera, yet his army still won. Uh, Jephthah, his mom was a prostitute. David was this ruddy little boy. Samuel was an intern in the temple. And this is what it says in Hebrews 11. Through faith, these 
small, weak, feeble, insignificant. Men and women, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength. God equips his church to fulfill his mission. He gives us his power. Do you know um, Edward Kimball? Anybody? Edward Kimball. No, probably not, because he was just this young Sunday school teacher. Who serves in our kids' ministry? Raise your hand. Hi. I want, I want, I want everybody to see us. Yeah, raise your hand. Yeah. So um, that's what we're, t- like a young Sunday school teacher, someone who teaches in, in kids' ministry or youth ministry, um, he was a man named in 1858 in Boston, uh, was the, the Sunday school teacher for D.L. Moody. In the 1850s, D.L. Moody was one of the greatest evangelists of all time that we know of. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. Shared the gospel with him, came to know Jesus because of faithfulness of his teacher. Just like you, that hang out with the elementary school kids and the preschool kids up there and share Jesus with them. The next D.L. Moody may be back there. The next Billy Graham. And it's the faithfulness of, of young people. Barrick Stockland, some of you might know Barrick Stockland. Uh, he is the son of one of our missionary partners in Haiti Bible Mission, Mark Stockland. He's preached here a couple times before. Um, Barrick's 15 years old, and Barrick loves soccer, and they live in Haiti. Barrick started a soccer ministry in Jeremy, Haiti, and he is seeing people come to know Jesus all the time. 15-year-old kid. Like, if you're in high school, raise your hand. He's a 15-year-old kid, and he started a soccer ministry in Jeremy, Haiti. And his soccer coach just recently came to know the Lord. His little sister is 13 years old. Her name is Amory. Mark started ministering to um, one of the witch doctors down in um, the city, and he brought his kids along with him. It's, It's not a safe area. You know, parents, we like to keep our kids safe, right? Brought his kids with him to the witch. The witch doctor made a living by having brothels. Brothels have prostitutes, women who sell themselves just to make a little bit of money. And this witch doctor profits off of that. Amory, who's 13 years old, started ministering and loving and making friends with these girls who are in prostitution. So one day she said, hey, Dad, can we have these women over our house and just cook them a nice meal and hang out with them and get them some new clothes? And so I was like, sure. And so she started as a 13-year-old sharing the gospel with these women. I want you to watch this video real quick. Hey, thank you so much for your gift and support to HBM. So we were able to get Stephanie out of Versailles into new housing and to get her a business and cooking supplies and now she can live for Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. There's a woman, Stefania, that is living her life in a brothel as a prostitute and she knows nothing else. 
it took a 13-year-old girl to say, hey, I care about you. I love you. This doesn't have to be your life. And so she figured out how much money it would take to get this woman out of her life of being humanly trafficked. She did something about it. And she came to know the Lord, and now she's living free, not only from that life, but in full freedom to spend all of eternity with Jesus. Church, we are called to a mission. And your story may not be like Amory's where you're living in Jeremy, Haiti, but you're living in your neighborhood. You're living at your work. You're living with your friends in your high schools and your middle schools. God calls us to fulfill his mission, but not by our own strength. He gives us the power to do this. Do you believe you're weak and insignificant? Your weakness will not stop God. It didn't stop the church in Philadelphia. And I love that, that he even references here that, that the power that we have comes from the word of God. He says twice, because you have kept my word, that they are able to do these things. God's word has power. So he, not only does God give his church power, but there's three other things, ready? God gives his church protection. He says in verse 10, I will keep you. This picture here of I will keep you is like a father holding his child tight. I love how many babies that we have like in this church. And it's like a father or mother holding the baby tight, protecting them. Every enemy, every obstacle, every temptation, even in death, God protects us because this world is not our home. So why in the world are we building our kingdom here? God gives his church protection. God gives his church his presence. Look at verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold fast. One of the beautiful things about the gospel is that, that probably one of the primary things of the beauty of the gospel, it's not just that we are freed from our sin and then we get to spend eternity in heaven, but that we get the presence of God. Like church, we get his presence. He's saying, I'm coming soon. Hold fast to him. God wants you to be in relationship with him. He wants you. You're good, you're bad, the in-between, all of it. He wants you. That's why with the story of Mary and Martha in Scripture, it's two sisters, and one sister is off serving and like getting all the dishes clean and doing all the stuff, and then the other sister is just sitting at Jesus' feet and enjoying Jesus. And Jesus says, Mary, who's sitting at my feet, has chosen the better portion because God wants you. God is more concerned about you than what he's doing through you. He wants your heart. He wants you. And it's out of an overflow of our relationship with God that we then get to live on mission. So he gives his church power, protection, his presence, and then the last one is he gives his church permanency. In verses 12 and 13, we see three things here. That he's gonna make them a pillar in his temple, he's gonna give them a new name and a new home. This is permanency. This is him holding us fast. This pillar in the temple, you know what pillars do? They hold up a structure. That we as his church are a pillar. That we get to hold the church up and build his church. Now, he's the one who builds his church, but, but he invites us to join his mission. I don't know why. 
Like, why does God, like, allow us to do this? Why does God allow us to go share the gospel with people? Because he wants us to be a part of it. We become pillars in his temple. We do not play an insignificant role in building his kingdom. Like, he wants to use each and every person in this room to build his kingdom. He doesn't want you to get to the end of your life and be like, man, I wasted my life, I squandered my life doing worldly things and building a worldly kingdom, and I did nothing to build the kingdom of the Lord. Why do we put such a heavy emphasis on living, giving, and serving? Because church, you are the pillar in which this community will see as hope for the gospel. We don't want to build the name of FMCC. We want to build the name of Jesus. And he gives you a new name. That new name is his identity. He has transformed you. He has changed you. So all of the reasons why you say you can't go build his kingdom because of your past, and when I, when I talk about past, I know that everybody's like, oh, you're talking directly to me. Yeah, because we all have it. All the things that cause you to say, well, I can't go tell my, my brother or my sister or my cousin about Jesus because they know what I used to do. No, it's because of what you used to do that you can tell them about Jesus who saved you from who you used to be because God has given you a new name, a new identity. And so you don't have to prove that God has saved you. This does. God is your proof that he has transformed and changed you into something new. And he has given you a new home, a place of rest, a place where we belong and are loved and are known. We get to experience just a small little glimpse of this in his church, in his body, with his people. But when we get to heaven, we will be worshiping with every nation and every tongue. We will be worshiping with brothers and sisters from all over the world that we don't even know for all of eternity. So what's our response in all of this? How do you respond to this? That, that God gives us a mission and that he equips us to fulfill his mission? See every open door. You ready for this? See every open door as an opportunity to build God's kingdom. Nothing that happens in your life is meaningless. No heartache, no pain, no hurt is meaningless. Every door is an opportunity for you to build God's kingdom. So what is your mission field? Who are you discipling? Who has God placed in your life that you may be the opportunity that they get to hear, see, and respond to the gospel with? We all experience heartache and pain. We experience loss and brokenness, sickness, and even death. Church, just like the church in Philadelphia, we may be small, but we're not insignificant. And we serve a big God that has big power, and he will use us to make his name great. We just need to surrender and trust that it is him who will fulfill his mission through us, building his kingdom. Amen. Can I pray for us? Jesus, I love that we get the opportunity to participate in seeing people move from death to life, in seeing the people around us that you have surrounded us with at work and at school and in our neighborhoods and in our gyms and in the places that we like to go, that we get to see people move 
from a spiritual, eternal, forever death to eternal life. So God, I pray that you would give us confidence in your word. I pray that you would give us confidence in, in the gifts that you have given us. But more than anything, Lord, I pray that you would give us confidence in you, that you are the life changer, that you are the one who transforms. God, I pray that each and every person here would receive the mission that you have called us to, to go therefore and make disciples. And that we would begin to look at life through a completely different lens. That every opportunity, whether in it we are frustrated, in it we are angry, upset, that you would stir in our hearts the understanding and the knowledge and the wisdom to know that this is an opportunity to make your name great. And God, if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't trust you as their Lord and Savior, I pray right now that they would know that they have a purpose. And that purpose is to know you, to be known by you, to fall more and more in love with you, and then to teach those around them to do the same, to share that good news with everybody around them. God, we receive your purpose. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would allow us, that you would allow us to live and press into the mission that you have called us to, to build your kingdom. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.